Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I am Neha Sampad, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack and also a certified sommelier. So yes, we drink wine here. I am joined by Alex Porter, founder and CEO of ModTech Labs, Inc., as well as three other companies, so also a serial entrepreneur. She has a Bachelor of Science in Interior Design and Construction Technology and describes herself as a serial entrepreneur in pursuit of ways to use technology for the betterment of the world. Today, we're going to talk about how to find your next big opportunity, investing in personal development, and modern 3D technology. Let's get started. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me, Neha. I'm excited to be here and share a little bit about my journey and hopefully help some others on theirs. It's awesome to finally be able to do this. Alex and I have run into each other in several circles. We both live in Austin. And Alex, you moved to Austin when you were only about 10 years old, right? Correct. Yes. I've, I've lived here for the majority of my life, middle school, high school, college, marriage. And then we lived in five cities in four years and came back to Austin. Uh, you came back to Austin. So what is it about Austin that you think breeds and attracts innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs, people like you? Austin is absolutely home. We were based in LA when we decided to start our company, our first company together. And myself and my husband, who's my CTO, really focused on actually coming back to Austin so that we would have that functional family unit that would help support us on our journey while we're growing our family, we're growing our business. But also Austin has been moving upward in this trajectory toward this startup community that really creates opportunity and collaboration and really gives you access to a lot more tools and uh, toys, if you will, that you wouldn't necessarily have elsewhere in the world. Absolutely. And we'll explore that a little bit more when we learn about your business. Let's start with some wine because what's in the glass is one of my favorite portions of Dreammakers. And today we are drinking a very classic Napa Valley Cabernet. This is a Stag's Leap. I believe it's a 2018 that you received. Is that right? Yes, we are at a 2018 okay. Stag's Leap. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so these cabs are pretty typical of a Napa Valley cab, very exuberant and have lots of dark fruit, lots of juicy kind of black currant or blackberry. Let's give it a give it a little bit of a whirl. Mm, quite delicious. And you said you're less of a wine drinker and more of a beer drinker, is that right? Spirits, spirits typically. Mm. But I can appreciate a great wine and I definitely prefer red over white most days. What's your favorite spirit? To be honest, I typically gravitate toward like the clear ones. So sort of like a white rum or a vodka. I'm very partial to mules, various versions of mules. <laughs> so I love ginger beer and lime. I'm like very refreshing and a little bubbly, which honestly, actually, sometimes I mix my wine. This might be terrible. I'm telling you as a professional sommelier that I'm doing this. Sometimes I mix bubbly water with my wine and then I'm like, oh, it's spritzer. Right. <laughs> well, given that it's like 110 degrees in Austin, I think you can get away with a lot of things and not be judged. <laughs> true, true. So this is a really nice one. We'll keep revisiting it while we continue the conversation. But let's learn a little bit more about you and Mod Tech Labs. So you've got a pretty interesting path that led you to Mod Tech Labs. Let's walk through that a little bit. Your first company was Bonsai Birth, where you were a doula which is not like a typical startup CEO type story. 
as well as a child care mentor of, of all kinds of sorts. Looking back, how do you feel that that sort of created the foundation for where you are now? Yeah, I mean, this is actually a question I've answered a lot because people are very curious about how working in sort of these really delicate times of life when you're, you know, raising your family, when you're having your first baby, when you're actually expanding your personal existence in some cases or your familial existence in other cases. And it really boils down to the human, right? There's human in every business. Doesn't matter what we do. It's all about relationships. And whether, you know, I'm helping someone take care of their most precious thing, their child, or I'm helping them sort of learn and understand how to make definitive choices around what kind of birth they want to have, or I'm helping guide someone that works for me to grow within our company and grow into a place in their career that they want to grow. I feel like it's all relatively similar. You listen, you are kind, you're respectful, you share your your advice and your knowledge as it's accepted and invited in. And everyone, I think, really loves having that relationship that they can go to someone and without feeling judgment, they can just sort of release some of the pressure valve if I'm really overwhelmed by the situation or I don't know enough about this, how can I find resources? And in a lot of ways, that tends to be sort of the role that I fill, whether it's in a tech company or whether it's consulting with a family. That's really interesting. It's like trust, going back to the idea of like, what's the basic foundation for which you would trust someone with your baby or your family, but also in work and in our jobs and when we're making buying decisions, trust is such an important factor. And it feels like that, like having that background that makes that very natural for you, which is really cool. How did childcare take you into interior design? (laughs) So this one is a little bit more of a sort of a happenstance to some extent. So I did grow up playing The Sims. I would not actually really role play the game. I would actually just use the cheat code, which was Rosebud semicolon colon until it ended. And then you could get all the money and then you could build all the houses and design all of them. I didn't really care about the like interaction part. I just loved playing with a design piece. And so it's always sort of like in the back of my mind, something I enjoy, but I didn't really explore it too much. When I started going to college at Texas State in San Marcos, uh, just outside of Austin, the I went to the College of Consumer Sciences. In some ways, I feel like it was like the leftover degrees. They were like, we're not really sure where these should go. But they they do have a common thread. So child development was originally what I was going for. One day I went into the counselor's office and I found a pamphlet and it said, you could only be a child care provider or a daycare director for the rest of your life. And I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's what I want for my entire life. I love it. It was a, it was a passion place, but I didn't see like sort of the the career trajectory that I necessarily wanted. So next to it, you know, there's the pamphlets for all the other degrees. And I was like, oh, interior design. I actually like interior design. I had no real clue what I was getting into as far as like the logistics of an education, um, a bachelor of science in interior design. And what I learned is that it actually was a very interesting combination of the two sides of my personality. It's the analytical and it's the beautification piece. So you're getting that space planning, measuring drapes, understanding how things fit together. And then you're also talking color theory. You're also talking other types of aesthetics, fabrics, materials, and how these things sort of go together effectively to create a space, a place of feeling 
and a function ultimately. And so it was a really fun and interesting sort of slide for me away from this sort of interpersonal relationship type work that I was doing into something that was a little bit more sort of business focused. And it was really interesting and great. And I think it actually is what set the foundation that made it possible for me to really extend that skill set of interpersonal all the way into business and technology. Who would have thought that a pamphlet could change your life? <laughs> that way? So I love that you talked about kind of the intersection of analytical and beautification or aesthetics coming together. How did this influence kind of what led into the UI and human-centered design philosophies that you think about and follow today? So really, the way that I look at my background is it's the visualization of places and spaces. My minor was in construction technology. So AutoCAD, Revit, sort of the like, getting that into a design program and helping non-visual people visualize a space. When we started our company in LA, as I mentioned, Tim, my co-founder and husband, his background is in games and movies. Okay, so he spent over a decade doing sort of the technical things, bringing together the art, the code, the design, and making it super functional so that it could be delivered. We talked about having a business together at some point. And then the time sort of came when we were living in LA and we were a little bit tired of being sort of at the uh, the whim of the companies and the opportunities. We wanted to be the, uh, the captains of our own ship. We were in the right place at the right time for virtual reality. So virtual reality in 2016, 2015 was really starting to gel into sort of this consumer market that we see today to some extent. And the massive piece about VR that that I think, in the, especially in the early days, people weren't quite getting yet, is it has to be visual, it has to be immersive, and it has to be interactive, right? And so you have to combine all of these things. And so with our powers combined, we created our first company, which was Underminer Studios, where we focused on making functional tools for corporations. And a lot of that had to do with how we could clearly use those tools that we both had sort of separately and make them functional together. So I was really visual QA in a lot of ways and helping make those virtual worlds more realistic. So cool. Now you're CEO of Mod Tech, working on 3D technology. What are you trying to accomplish there? And, and how are you encouraging companies to use 3D? So sometimes I get asked what 3D is. And the simple answer is 3D is what we exist in, live in every single day. It's the way our eyes work. We see in 3D, not in 2D. It's having a conversation with someone in person versus having a conversation with someone on Zoom, right? You get a lot more sort of presence and understanding of not only body language, but just sort of the emotion of the moment and the human existence. That extends out into objects, that extends out into environments. And so we actually solved for our own problem. That is how ModTech came about. Originally, we as a studio, as an underminer, we were creating all these wonderful, great experiences that were very like one-off project-based services. Services aren't scalable. It's a little bit of a grind sometimes. It's challenging. And so we always were sort of looking for like, what is the product? What is the thing that we can create that could be the repeatable process that we can go out and sell sort of at scale that will make people's lives easier? And our biggest issue, the thing that we were always trying to scramble and solve for was content creation itself. We could make the interaction, finding where it was going to play back or how it's going to be visualized was pretty easy. But the function of making each individual place, space, person, character that was in this environment was really hard. And every project for us was different. 
And so we were having to spool up different teams at different times to make these things actually happen. And so it really kind of, we hit a ceiling with the, our ability to take on more projects because we couldn't manage all of those pieces of parts. So we started automating our own content creation process. We looked into doing it with photos, videos, and scans. So instead of automating animated content or sort of stylized content, we were like very focused on taking these real world objects, people, environments and digitizing them, which in and of itself is a massively complex feat. Yeah. (laughs) So really, really, it was just about sort of solving our own problem. And then, and then we recognized this is the product. We created the thing that can actually change people's lives massively, right? I mean, there's there's a scale of changing people's lives, right? We're not a cancer drug. One day, maybe mm-hmm. we can be relevant and wonderful in medical. We're definitely on the side of, you know, productivity, creativity, creating opportunity for people to live their best lives and have the tools that empower them to do more. Yeah, that's totally the content stack philosophy too. And it's really about empowering people to do their best work and giving them the tools to do that, which I think we share that vision unanimously. How do you see the 3D world changing? Like, what are the things that you get excited about? There are so many changes happening in the 3D world right now, which is fantastic. If you want to talk about buzzwords, (laughs) we can talk about the metaverse, right? For better or worse, what I love about the terminology is that it starts creating a common rhetoric. So generally, you could go to almost anyone, even though no one knows what it is yet, almost anyone at least recognizes the word and understands sort of the long-term vision, like, oh, one day we're all going to be in glasses or goggles or (laughs) natively be able to interact with digital content. That's not where we are today. And personally, the way that we look at it at Mod is that we are all interacting in the metaverse today. Every virtual world, every virtual interaction, every Zoom call, every movie we consume... These are all versions of the metaverse, right? It's digital content, physical content that is being put together in a consumable way on a device, a screen, whether it's in your hand, on your face, or on the wall. doesn't really matter to us. And with that, we're seeing a massive push toward content creation at scale. And so what that means right now is the way content is produced, it's very dependent on people. And so you have to have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge around a set of software and a set of processes that are upwards of 20 separate softwares to create a single movie, upwards of 2,000 to 20,000 people that are working just on the digital asset side. And it's a massive spectrum, right? Number one, there's a lack of talent in the industry as a whole right now because it's so in demand. Number two, the content like demand has increased from about 30% to probably 80% in a lot of cases. And so because of that, we're at this bottleneck point where technology Mm -hmm. is what solves for that problem. We're deep in the world of using AI, machine learning, and automating a lot of the redundant and boring tasks. I mean, would you consider an artist like a mathematician? They kind of have to be (laughs) right now if they want to understand 3D spaces and how to functionally make content for that. So we're working to eliminate a lot of those steps that just aren't really creative. They're just a necessary evil. That's super cool. Yeah, content creation at scale is like the the next big frontier and feels like you're starting to enable some of that. I want to dig a little bit into your (laughs) co-founder and 
you and I also have that in common where we have a co-founder who's, who we're also married to and who's also our CTO. What is that like when you think about like the fusion of work and life for you? What's that world like? Is it challenging? Is it fun? Maybe a little bit of both. Definitely both. <laughs> Definitely both. I think anyone that thinks that it is easy breezy probably maybe hasn't done it because that's just, that's just not how relationships work in general, right? One of the things that I'm really grateful for is we complement each other very well in a lot of ways. You know, I mentioned this a little bit earlier about our early days in VR. He was sort of the technical implementer and I was sort of the designer and that sort of like last look of like, how are people interacting with this and how can we improve that? And that really sort of is a thread that is carried on. He is definitely the technical side of our business. He is the code. He is dealing on the IT side. He's dealing with machine learning and actually building product, right? Whereas I'm very much like marketing, operation, and sort of that side of things. And so you have to have both of those to make a business in technology. Like that's what it boils down to. And I do not want to do the things that he does. He said, he said to me the other day, actually, oh, you know, it's only been almost 10 years and you still haven't learned to code. And I was like, yes, I have not. <laughs> I, I don't want to code. It's just not something that I have a desire to do. Happy to learn a lot of things, do a lot of other things. And then on the same side, at one point I was telling him, stop talking server to me because he was, he was learning about server infrastructure and architecture and he processes verbally. So one benefit of that is that I learn a lot, a lot of very technical, very in-depth things that I probably don't need to know, but it helps me really understand sort of the bigger, broader application and implementation of our product and how our customers are using it, all that kind of stuff. And so it's really interesting on that side, but it also comes with its share of frustrations. And if there are not clear boundaries set around when it's time to talk work and when it's not, then it gets challenging. If you add children to the mix, which in our case, we have two, it's another layer of fun and sometimes just a lot of juggling. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm super grateful that we're excellent at tag teaming. I feel like we both can really sort of shift as necessary to make sure that things are being covered effectively when something has to give. Yeah, it's an art for sure. In my case, the context switching and being able to like kind of put things into compartments is super important because it's otherwise like you're, you're always on, right? Like as a, as a founder, as a CEO, you don't really ever shut off. And then further for you as a mom, you don't really get to turn that off either. And so it's really just being able to like balance what matters at this moment and doing what you need to do to get past the moment so that you can get back to the thing that's hard or whatever. <laughs> Super interesting. I feel like you and I could have several glasses of wine to talk about this more. So we'll have to do that sometime. But so you talked about previously being a solopreneur before Underminer, before ModTech, and you kind of had to do a lot of soul searching to get to this point. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and how did you know that you needed to change, that you needed to level up? Operating as a solopreneur is very different than operating in a team. Whether you're leading the team or you're just a part of a team, it's very different. And for me, a lot of my early career, I've had some like retail positions. Again, I wouldn't necessarily say that they were teamwork per se, but they were not as collaborative as working in a tech company and trying to execute on a singular vision of a product, of a market, of a deliverable, et cetera. And so 
with all of the work that I did, I did all of my own sourcing, all of my own contracting, all of my own marketing and, and all the sort of like smaller piecemeal activities that you'd have to do for really what was, what was a small business, right? Very small business. And then I had to switch my thinking to think at scale, right? It's not just about me and what I want and how I want to operate. It's about what works for the masses, if you will, bringing on team members, working with Tim. He has a very different way of thinking about how he wants to execute because he's been on that technical side for his career. And so having to sort of wrap my mind around those things and then also switching from service to product, right? Which is what we did massively. We did the services sort of at scale with Underminer, as big as scale could go. <laughs> with that model. And then really moving toward this venture-backed, ultra-scalable, high-tech application. They're all so very different. The way that you think about fundraising, the way that you think about budgeting, the way that you think about all the pieces and parts, building your team, et cetera. It's a huge shift. And so I did a lot of education, honestly. I did the venture deals course three times, I think the live <laughs> version. And it was different times in the company, each section that I did it, because I think they run the course twice a year or something. And ultimately, every time I was like, oh, mind blown, I have a whole different perspective on this now because we're here instead of there. And so there are there are so many resources out there that help sort of propel you forward. And once you understand the different sort of functions in the business world of where a venture business sits versus a service business versus a solopreneur business, then you have a lot more sort of opportunity to expand on that. Yeah, it's a big mindset shift, isn't it? Just knowing that you have to go from this mindset of almost profitability. And we kind of joke that services is crack because it's just this revenue that keeps coming in. And it's hard to walk away from, but to become a product company, it sounds like we have that parallel in common too. more to drink wine over or white liquids of some yes. sort. <laughs> it sounds like not just the, the mindset shift, but also like constantly challenging yourself. And there's something that stands out that Nick Mehta, who's the CEO of Gainsight, I overheard him at a conference talking about how he has to fire himself every six months and just kind of revisit, am I the right person to keep running this thing? And it's sort of similar, like if you're going through that many changes and your company is changing that much and the needs are changing and the scale is changing, you kind of have to rethink and challenge yourself pretty constantly. But all of us as entrepreneurs go through different journeys with failure. Tell us about your relationship with failure and how the perception of that has changed over time. Honestly, I was not brought up to think that failure was a learning opportunity. <laughs> so that in and of itself, I would say was also a big piece of the mindset shift that had to happen because as a solopreneur, failure is on a much more granular scale. I feel like once you're sort of angling the business up and up, failure gets bigger and badder, if you will. But ultimately, what I have learned is actually about the, the scale of competency. The scale of competency... You start at zero when you don't know anything about anything. You're not bad or good. You're literally neutral because you don't know any better or worse. And so ultimately, I reframed it in that way. And so as you're gaining competency, you don't go from zero to master. You're not going to master something immediately. You're going to incrementally increase your functionality, capability, and capability within these sort of things that you're trying to learn. 
there's a negative scale of competency as well. If you're intentionally doing harm, that's, that's a negative scale, right? Ultimately for me, it was reframing it that helped a lot because again, I wasn't brought up that way. Failure (laughs) was the, the end of the world for me. It would break me down. And as you mentioned, the, the entrepreneurial journey is a roller coaster, whatever analogy you want to give, it's got its ups, it's got its downs. They could be in the same day, hour, week. <laughs> they could be back to back to back. You have to create space to learn from the things that don't work, whether you want to perceive that as failure or not, and improve on them. Otherwise, you can't move to the next level of competency. You can't overcome that sort of lack of knowledge or lack of application of that skill. So that's, that's helped me massively. And I, I highly recommend that for anyone who has, is still struggling with failure and how to overcome it. Absolutely. And you mentioned roller coasters. Your career has taken a lot of twists and turns. And you've kind of had to decide like when a new opportunity came along, how to sort of vet it and figure out if it's right for you. How do you do that? I'll give you an exact example. So between Underminer and Mod, we actually started two other companies. One of them that I'll mention briefly, we were creating virtual reality therapy. This was way before it was marketable, like not even in the realm of possibility to actually have that business be a thing at that time. But we got to a point where we had developed sort of MVP. We were I, we were both really passionate about this. Felt like there was a great opportunity, but we were still hitting walls with like moving it forward. And so what I did is I actually signed up for a place where I had access to a lot of mentors. And I scheduled like 50 mentor meetings in a month or something silly. And I mean, they were like 15 minute meetings. And I was like, all right, I'm going to tell you my idea. You're going to tell me what you think about it. And I would, I just heard all of the feedback, but there were a lot of people that were positive about it. Almost no one was like, yes, this is the time for that thing. Or and granted, you have to take all the opinions with a grain of salt because you still ultimately have to make the decision yourself and feel comfortable with what you're deciding. But with that sort of input of it's not going to work for X, Y, or Z reason, which I hadn't necessarily seen, it helped me to put it into perspective of where are we putting our time, energy, and effort? How will that play out and affect you know, our business, our family, our, our life goals, our career goals? Will this be worth the energy and effort we're putting into it? And I think that's a huge piece of it for me personally. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it's often really hard for an entrepreneur to have to prioritize. Like it's probably one of our our biggest weaknesses. Is there something that stands out as sort of a common thread on your path? Or is there something that maybe you feel is your purpose that you would identify? Yeah, I mean, I really love the sort of motherhood kind of perspective on the world, right? And I'm not talking about me as a mother per se. I'm talking a little bit higher than that, right? As someone who can nurture and hopefully benefit more people in the world than just myself, I want to bring sort of that, the the perspective that I have, the tools that I've developed within myself, and then ultimately potentially the products that we're bringing into the world. I want to bring that out and make people feel better, do better, create more and create that opportunity. That really is sort of the underlying thread, if you will. I love being a nurturer and I love helping other people along their path. 
I can't do that personally with everyone, obviously. And so I think a lot of times I look at it with what we're doing now with mod is if our tools can help even a fraction of the people that we, we know they can, that's going to make a huge effect in the world and help bring a lot of these people back to the creativity that drew them to the work that they do. That's awesome. And you talked about nurture and not being able to scale it, but I've seen you out there in Austin, in the community, doing things. We've run into each other in mentoring events all the time. You've done things for, I know, Girls in Tech, Black Tech Mentorship Program. I think the last event we ran into each other was a female angels network that we were both supporting. How do you get involved and what do you love to do with those organizations? You know, I think a piece of it is sharing that you don't have to be a technologist to be in technology. As I mentioned, I don't code. And I think that that is something that people don't necessarily know about tech. There are a lot of things that have to happen, whether it is accounting or marketing or social media. There's a wide variety of uses and applications and roles that have to be filled ultimately to bring a company to the world to its highest potential. And a lot of the work that I've done with Girls in Tech is mentoring around, hey, there are other opportunities in tech, or really just sort of hearing these very early entrepreneurs pitching their ideas, which gives me so much joy. I love, I love listening to other people pitch and sort of conceptualize businesses and and, and technology applications. And it's really fun for me. And it gives me a lot of inspiration too. So I'm, I'm grateful that it's this like reciprocal, beneficial, happy place. And it's sort of the same thing with uh, the Black Technology Mentorship Program, which started during COVID. Their particular role in the, the ecosystem is to bring technology to whomever is ready to access it, meaning they don't have sort of an age limit. They're come as you are, come where you are in your journey, and we'll help you find the resources you need to take the next step, whether you are a student or young professional or mid-career, but you've decided that that career is no longer the thing that brings you joy. I think that there's a lot of power and a lot of passion behind bringing people up to speed on these markets that are moving very quickly. That even though the virtual reality revolution, if you will, seems very slow to us as we're living it, it's actually faster than the mobile revolution, which is a bizarre thing to think about. But that just means there are a lot of people that are interested in it potentially or don't even know about it yet that need to be educated and need to have the space to ask their questions. And I actually just had a call yesterday with a marketing firm that is specifically asking about what is the metaverse for brands like our clients. And one of the people on the call said to me, you know, I I know this is a stupid question. I was like, there's no such thing as stupid questions because I guarantee you that there are a lot of other people out there that don't know even the basis of what you're talking about. So I think us all putting that into perspective and just giving freely of the knowledge that we have to move these opportunities, markets, and tools along makes a huge difference in the world. That's awesome. And so you give a lot of your time, which as a CEO, I know is difficult. I am similar in that I love to give back. And I actually think we both get energy from, like you said, listening to people's ideas and just the spirit of all of it. There's a lot of people that like to volunteer their time, but they're kind of overwhelmed by all the different options and choices. How would you recommend someone who wants to get more involved, like finding an organization that might be right for them? There is a sea of opportunity out there. 
I really think it is about what your passion place is. I have I have a good friend whose passion is animals. She loves animals. She does a ton of boarding and other things. She works with all the pet shelters near her. And a lot of her time, energy, and effort is spent particularly geared at helping and moving the needle for the animals. And I myself, of course, sit in my little box of technology. And I think it really is about where's the place that brings you joy, brings you passion, and and you have something that you can potentially contribute, whether that is time, whether that is money, whether that is effort or knowledge. There's a there's a wide variety of needs that all of these volunteer opportunities have. And I also think that there's a lot of validity to taking, well, in many cases now, a lot of corporate initiatives have opportunity to do this, you know, double time, give back, or you get extra time off Mm -hmm. for volunteering. I think it's important to take advantage of that. Even if you only have one or two days a year or a few hours of time, that little bit makes a huge difference when there are huge huge roadblocks and huge opportunities and education that need to happen in these sectors, it makes a difference, even if it's a little bit. So I think, I think it's about passion and I think it's about what you have to give and then finding the right opportunity that sort of matches with that. Yeah, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. We at Content Stack, we have Content Stack Cares Day where we just kind of like really encourage everyone just take a day off and go give back to your community. And what I love about it is it allows them to uncover something that they're passionate about that then carries well beyond that one day, right? They become involved in their communities in ways that they otherwise would not have found. So find something that you're passionate about. I love that advice. Okay, it's time for rapid fire. So I ask my guests the same four questions at the end of every episode. I'm going to ask you four questions and hopefully we can have one more sip of the wine together and see how it's changed. And let me kick off with what is your wake up song? Lately, it's been unstoppable by Sia. <laughs> I'm like, it's just, right. it's, it's such a good jam. So I love it. That's awesome. If the 19 year old you asked you today what they should read or what they should listen to, what would you suggest? Definitely suggest to start reading that slew of venture backed company books. <laughs> there are so many. And I'm like, I do not have the time for the recommended reading for the, my chosen career but it would be really helpful if I had started when I was 19. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff out there. And audiobooks helped you. True. Can you recommend a favorite wine? And if not a wine, a favorite beverage? So I am going to go with 19 Crimes. And this is a totally nerdy reason. (laughs) 19 Crimes has augmented reality labels, which I think is brilliant. And not only did they animate the characters on the label, which you can look through the app and actually see them tell the story of their crime, but they also used this as a massive data play to expand their market share. So where people were buying it, they were doing this like co-marketing. It was just brilliant, brilliantly executed. And the traction that they got in a short amount of time was massive. Also, their wine is good. And they have Snoop Dogg on one, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Anything associated with Snoop I can get on board with. So totally. <laughs> okay. What should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? Really? Go pick out something that you need to learn about, you want to learn about, some passion that is buried. And read a book, listen to a podcast, figure out a way that you can start getting involved in that passion and take that step because 
the most effective growth happens when you're out of your comfort zone and you won't get there if you don't push yourself there. Great advice. Find that pamphlet. <laughs> Pick it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. This is a lot of fun. Let's check out how the wine's doing. Mm. I like the big ones because they open up nicely, especially over the course of like 30, 45 minutes and they change and just become more approachable and a little bit more interesting in the finish. Agreed. Agreed. That's a very nice finish. It's like a little bit dry, but not too dry. Perfect. Awesome. Well, it's so nice to have you on and to learn a little bit more about your journey. I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to follow up with you and find some time that we can actually get together and, and just chat some more. But this is super fantastic having you on Dream Makers. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Dream Makers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dreammaker Woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human.